Hello everyone, this is your host Ramakrishna from Usha Investment Group LLC. Welcome back to Multifamily AP360, the show where we discuss 360 degrees views on mindset, passive and active multifamily investing. For those who are looking for tips, strategies, best and challenging experiences. Also, I request you to share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Today's our guest is Ronald Rodi from Ronald Rodi Law LLC. Welcome, Ronald. Hi, Rama. Good to be here. Thank you very much, Ron. And a little bit about Ron. Ron focuses on all aspects of investment real estate. He advises clients on LLC formation, raising capital, loan document review, commercial leases, short-term rentals, and even evicting the most difficult non-paying tenants. With many clients working full-time or living out of state, Ron brings the best use of technology to the forefront to save his clients time and money. Whether you are new to investing or an existing investor equity group with hundreds of units, Ronald Rodi LLC provides a precise application of legal review to solve your legal problems on a transparent schedule. So with that, Ron, you want to add anything to your background? No, I think that's it. You know, we're a, we're a commercial real estate law firm. We, we only do commercial work to you know, help people build wealth through, you know, multifamily investment. Awesome. And would you share a little bit more about how exactly you're supporting multifamily syndicators? Yeah. So, you know, from the syndicator perspective, there's a lot of touch points with the legal system, right? So everything is governed by contract. And for better, for worse, from day one, you're going to need contracts. You're going to have presumably some partners uh, on the GP side. So from entity formation, your, your, original, your original partnership agreement, that's your operating agreement, how you guys come together as partners, how you raise capital, how you have contracts with the brokers. Um, obviously, the purchase and sale agreement for the actual asset is very important. And then raising capital, you have your subscription agreement, you have limited partner agreements, there's just a ton of legal documents, you have your loan documents, you have your title commitment, you have your title policy, you know, you're really signing up for a whole host of obligations to to everybody, you know, as a sponsor, you're, you're accountable to every single part of the transaction, people put their hand out, they want to get paid. They're demanding things. You sign a contract. Your investors want their money. Your, you know, property. Your tenants want a lot of uh, services as well. And things break on your property, and and you're responsible. So it can be very daunting to think about all of this paperwork that you're signing and you're obligated to. But you know, that's where a, a law firm can come in and just really answer all of your questions, so that you can focus on what you do best, which is you know finding the properties raising rents and, you know, really just providing a great tenant experience. Awesome. And so from PSA and uh, legal documents viewpoint of view, what exactly we, we need to see? Yeah. So I, I think it's really important to understand that there is no such thing as a, a standard PSA, right? In the commercial world, everything is negotiable. Everything is custom. And so with that in mind, people need to understand both how that can be used against them by a seller uh, putting in, you know, other phrases or clauses that penalize the buyer or don't provide certain types of recourse. There's a section, you know, that we call seller representations and warranty that can can have drastic impacts on what happens after you close. If the seller says, well, I never promised you that, you know, the, the trees were in good shape and, and all of the trees could die. And maybe the seller knew 
that there was an active infestation or something, something that materially affected the value of the property. Yet if the seller doesn't have an obligation to disclose that and the PSA doesn't require him to disclose that, they're not going to tell you. And suddenly you buy this property that's you know wooded and shaded and it looks great. But then all of a sudden you have a hundred thousand dollar landscaping bill, you know, to tear out all the old trees and to plant new ones, something like that. You really, you don't expect it and we can't predict it, right? We, we, we can't control everything that happens, but the contract we do have control over. And so we can put phrases and clauses and obligations of the seller to protect you as a buyer. So that's just one example, but you know, I would recommend that everybody read the PSA, you know, read it from start to finish and everything that you don't understand or you don't truly grasp what your options are, make a note of it and then ask, ask an attorney, what does this mean? How could this happen in a multifamily transaction? And how could I protect myself? How can I protect my investors from, from something catastrophic happening? Awesome. Uh, and also, would you share any complicated, you know, uh, situation you uh, based on your experience? Yeah. So I, I think one of uh, one of the biggest difficulties that we had during COVID, right, was managing the rent rolls, uh, collections versus the physical occupancy versus eviction. We, we had a lot of transactions that were still moving forward. But it was very difficult to to pin the seller down. And what I mean is, you know, like getting a certified rent roll that actually meant something because the tenants were changing so much. It was, again, it wasn't difficult, but it was something that had to be addressed specifically because landlords were getting rent checks, rent relief checks from third party agencies. So if you get a check from that agency, does that mean that the tenant is current? You know, if, if somebody else is paying their bill, because presumably it's going to stop, maybe the tenant can start paying again, but it's, but it's not clear. And so that's kind of like a specific example that we really, it, it's complicated and you have to draft all of that language into the PSA to protect you. And, and you know, from the seller side, they want to protect themselves, protect the value. So. Yeah. So and from title and survey and, you know, city enforcement point of what exactly we need to look yeah. So title and survey, that's a very important part of, you know, preparing or reviewing your, your property because just breaking it up a little bit, the title company, right? They issue a title insurance policy, which basically warrants that you can get free and clear title free of any other encumbrances other than say your mortgage debt, but they warrant that you're going to get it for free and that there will not be any encumbrances such as liens you know, attachments or, or judgments, fines from the city on your property, you get it, it's, it's zero, you know, you're at a zero balance. However, when they issue their commitment, they will list out a long list of exceptions. And those exceptions are all things that they won't cover. So again, for example, you know, you're under contract, you buy the multifamily, you receive the title commitment, it's going to list out 10, 15, maybe 20 different recorded exceptions for example, again, like the, the mechanic lien, it'll say there's an exception for any amount owed to a plumber, you know, Joe the plumber for up, you know, $150,000. Whether the prior seller has paid him off or not, it doesn't matter. The title company doesn't, they don't do a ton of research. They'll only look into recorded documents. But if there is a recorded lien from that entity, you as a, a purchaser are buying the property with the risk 
that you have to satisfy that debt because it's attached to the property and you, by buying the property, inherit it. And so title insurance is not going to cover it. Um, that's one part of the title policy and the list of exceptions. Another is the survey. So what we do as a, as a lawyer is, you know, we, we review the survey, which hopefully should be a new Alta survey with a list of table A requirements that govern the, uh, the type of information in the survey. But we compare the survey, which is supposed to be a physical representation of the property, right? It's, it's essentially a drawing, the boundaries, the setbacks, the easements, uh, roads, uh, improvements, uh, fences. All of that stuff is reflected on a survey, and we compare the physical status of the property via the survey with what the title pulls as recorded encumbrances against the property. And so it's that comparison of the physical, does the physical match what is the legal recorded document? And that's it. You know, that's the title objection letter that we prepare and we submit it to title and say, the survey says X your document says why we request that you make your document look like our, our request. And if title is unable to cure, or if the seller, for example, is unable to cure, you as a purchaser have a right to terminate and get your earnest money back. And it's a very powerful tool to enable that purchaser to terminate the contract and get their earnest money back almost at any stage in the in the purchase process. You know, that that right to terminate can extend for a very long time, way past normal due diligence expiration times. Got it. So what options available for buyer uh, if if a previous seller is if you have some kind of liens or some some bills he didn't pay? Yeah. So unfortunately there's there's not a lot of uh, intermediate recourse. The, the purchaser typically has two options, right? They can agree to waive, which is usually it's like doing nothing. If the title company tells you that something is on there, but you as a buyer don't, don't object and you don't send a formal letter of notice to it and don't comply with your PSA, you can waive those objections and you just are obligated to close as normal. So like for that plumbing example, if, if the title company pulls it and says, we're accepting a lien of $100,000 to the Joe the plumber, um, and if you as the buyer don't do anything about it, the seller is not going to pay them off. They're not going to do any research into if they are paid off or not. You as a purchaser are basically telling every the seller that you're waiving those rights and that you are agreeing to close with that potential lien on the property because your other option will be to terminate. And if, let's say we draft the letter, we send the notice, the seller says, I have no idea who that is. I'm not going to investigate. I don't really care. I'm not going to cure, right? That's the seller cure obligation. Um, you don't really have, you don't have the ability to force the seller to try to cure that defect. Um, you, you as a purchaser, you have kind of the nuclear options. You can terminate the contract and get your money back and go on your way. Or you can waive it and say, okay, fine, we will we will handle that objection internally and work with the title company to try to remove it. But there is no there is no middle ground. You can't force the seller to cure a, a title defect. What happens like after closing if you get some kind of bills from city on like electricity bills or water bills, something like that? So what options? Yeah, that that's a that's a great question. You know, um, Utility bills uh, are usually in like two different categories. If it's uh, like a city or a county that has a right, you know, they, they have a broader power. 
or if it's a private provider, say like in electricity or cable or internet, something like that, they have fewer rights um, to attach to the property afterwards. You know, the short answer I would say is you really should try to work with them to uh, to satisfy it and figure out when this non-payment occurred. And again, that's back to really the seller representations and warranties. They should represent to you that there are no outstanding invoices incurred during their time of ownership, except for what you know is uh, is in the daily use, right? So. So normal operations like the electricity bill from the 30 days prior, those are okay. But I think what you're talking about is $5,000 water bill from six months ago. But that's where the seller representations and warranties comes in because you can obligate the seller to to indemnify you or you can obligate the seller that you lied. You, you, you said that there were no outstanding invoices, yet you knew about this charge. You just didn't pay it. So that's your recourse. For, for something that happens. So, but but you don't have the recourse if it's not in the PSA. So Got it. Got it. Sure. Yeah. Would you share any other, you know, other stuff we need to take care before, you know, before closing any deal or post-closing deals? Yeah. You know, I, I think the biggest advice, I've, I've worked with um, dozens, I don't know if hundreds, but, but tons, you know, definitely hundreds of deals. And what is the biggest issue is that, people don't quite understand how to underwrite their own legal risk because you should determine your acceptable level of risk beforehand and then work through with your lawyer to figure out what are the areas that we're willing to take risk on and what areas are are absolutely deal killers. And it's different for every investment group. It's different for every property, but it should be a conversation that you as a sponsor, you understand or that, you know, you've, you have to be very conscious about it um, because I, I think that it's not fair to say that all legal risk is the same. There are some deals that if it's a really a home run, I think, you know, we were talking before, if you find a five cap property, you know, in, in Dallas, jump on that all day, even if it has a potential for liens of, of up to $100,000, $200,000, if you can buy a 150 unit below market rents at a five cap with that's huge upside, you should be willing to take on more legal risk to get the deal done just because it's a great opportunity. On the other hand, If you're buying a three and a half cap in Austin, Texas, you can't afford to have surprise bills afterwards. And so you need to tell the seller, hey, I'm paying you a premium for this product. Um, it needs to be perfect. No surprises. You know, anything five or 10 or $15,000 post-closing is going to break our budget, so to speak, you know, for distributions that year. And so you need to tell your lawyer, we need this to be tight. The seller is going to cooperate, but the, the contract has to be very tight to pin him into everything that he is giving us, the rent rolls, the collections, the, uh, the expenses, those all have to be certified and warranted post-closing that if anything turns out not to be true, we can go after the seller. And so those are the types of, of clauses that I think is my, you know, my experience guys, they know, they, they know exactly where they're willing to take risk and they're, they know what they want. But um, that's, that's the biggest difference when people are kind of new or starting out again, even if you've done a, a couple of deals hopefully you haven't had too much time to see deals go bad but it's trying to learn from people that have seen deals you know go bad or 
I won't say go bad. It's just like you said, a surprise bill comes up later. Doesn't make you feel good. And especially for a $15,000, say a water bill, you ask your lawyer, Ron, could, could we have caught this? Could we have prevented it, right? You, the, the broker is not going to tell you. The broker is going to say, oh, no, don't worry, don't worry, just, just close. The lawyer is truly the only person who is looking out for your interest to say, okay, for, for an hour of my time, we could have addressed this in the contract and we could have prevented it uh, from, from being an expense though. Got it. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, would you share any, any one complicated transaction that you executed? You know, um, so, so I would say we do complicated transactions really just related to construction or incomplete portions of a building. Uh, so, so maybe I'll do this one, you know, this just happened to be recent. It's not a multifamily deal, but we are doing a, a flex uh, warehouse purchase. So it's an $11 million deal. Um, it's here in Dallas. But the, there was a new tenant moving in and there was substantial tenant improvement work. So this is, you know, a $500,000 budget, $400,000 budget. It really created complications because the seller wasn't going to warrant that there were no liens for unpaid work, right? Be- because in a, in a theoretical sense, there was constantly work ongoing. And so every day there could have been a lien for unpaid work that was performed yesterday. Um, and so we're in this constant like chicken and the egg. Well, are we going to finish construction and pay off and get unconditional lien waivers from all the vend- on the construction contractors before closing? If we are, great. You can sign all the normal representations. It's okay. But if we were not going to be finished, I it was hard for me to counsel the client. And so I, I just say that because understanding um, what condition the property is in is, is very complicated because once the seller says hands off, like, oh, I can't promise you that there's no liens. Suddenly that 400,000 of tenant improvement that you thought the seller was paying for becomes 400,000 that the seller hasn't paid for at all. And so that's, that's a big swing if you find yourself liable for it. And again, these contractor liens, these mechanics, material liens, they attach to the property um, and they don't care who's the owner. They're going to they're gonna be able to collect. So. Got it. Yeah. And w- what is your current focus, uh, Ron? <laughs> well, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely aware of risk, um, both in the economy, um, interest rate risk, uh, employment risk, the GDP, we have global instability. I tend to think of it in, in, in two different ways, right? There's the macroeconomic factors, which are big, big headwinds that take a long time to form and, and take a long time to, uh, to change. But at the end of the day, most of my success or investor success is going to be on the individual asset. So, you know, saying things like we are in the, the U.S. is in a recession. I, I would think that's true, right? I don't care what the White House puts out, but we're in a recession, okay? But how does that affect different states? How does that affect different regions of the United States? And more specifically, how does that affect single cities and single blocks down to a single asset? Because I find that at our level, much more of our profit or loss on a particular deal is asset specific as opposed to you know, national headlines. And so, and I say that because again, you know, us being in the South or, or, or buying in the South, a national recession is going to impact the coast, you know, California, Oregon, Washington, DC, New York, those places suffer a lot more drops in addition to Illinois, right? I think Illinois is going to get hammered in this recession, uh, Minnesota, Detroit, you know, places, some places like Columbus, 
they they don't have a ton of population growth. In fact, they have population decline. And if you have a recession, it's going to hit them a lot worse. So if you're buying a multifamily and it's a great deal and there's a cap rate in you know Cincinnati, Ohio, but they've had some population decrease, that's a risk. That, that, that's a very risk, real risk that's exacerbated by a recession versus um, the Sunbelt states, Texas, Florida, Georgia, Carolinas. They have such tremendous population growth even if we are in a recession, the impacts will be less. So that's my very long way of saying, you know, my, my outlook is cautiously optimistic. Yes, we may have some uncertainty and we may be flat for a little bit, but the idea is that your asset specifically, and you got to look at the, the demographic factors in that city are going to be more important um, than the headlines that you read on CNN. Um, those really just, you know, they don't affect you and I, until we're deploying $50 billion or, you know, $10 billion, that's when the macroeconomic problems start to arise. Got it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your perspective. And so any of your personal habits that are helping you to be successful, Ron? I think the most important thing is just consistency. Um, you know, I think people get very excited about the idea. They, they, they like the idea of, of passive real estate and that sort of thing. But you will get a lot more returns over your lifetime by being able to underwrite deals, to look at deals and, and you know, buy deals consistently, say even just one a year, two or three a year versus trying to do six all at once, right? The consistency in your um, adoption of commercial real estate, your adoption of, of multifamily investing needs to be over a 10-year horizon where you do it every day. You do it every week, every month, you do something as opposed to trying to cram everything when you're very excited. You know, I, I get it. I, I love real estate. I think it's a lot of fun. I, I never want to stop, but I'm also consistent in my, my pace. My, you know, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, but that's the only advice I have is just try to make it consistent over a long term. Got it. Got it. So any books that impacted your life and part way? Yeah. You know, I, um, I read a lot. I, I like, um, you know, kind of some business building. Uh, if you're, if you're looking to be a sponsor or to go on the deal, Attraction is a great book. Um, I've I've heard of that one. Um, I'm reading an older book right now, Never Split the Difference. I'm almost done with that. I I really like that for understanding the psychology of people. Um, But yeah, those are two great titles. Yeah, great books. And how can listeners can connect with you, Ron? Best way is online, um, ronaldrodelaw.com. That's R-O-N-A-L-D-R-O-H-D-E-L-A-W.com. Or, uh, you know, I have a YouTube channel where I post a lot of commercial real estate as well. Thank you. Thank you, Ram. All right. Thank you, Rama. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Multifamily AP360. Check out the show notes and grab the freebie on our website, ushacapital.com. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with those who might benefit and leave a rating and review. Follow me on my social media. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next time.